Figures in the Dark, the podcast where we tell stories of all things murderous, paranormal, and terrifying that go on in the dark. My name is Tori. My name is Taylor Shay. Welcome back to our podcast. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing? We're here. I'm okay. <laughs> we're okay. We're here. Yeah. Um, we're living the dream. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have anything overly like Mm-mm. bad to report other than like just trying to get through and do mm-hmm. the best that I can. Agreed. Yeah. I agree. I, I've definitely realized that because I have not been doing so great mentally, the really best thing and that I want to thank you as well as any of my other mm-hmm. friends who have been supporting supporting me so much right now that genuinely like having those support networks has really mm-hmm. helped get me through. And I've been like really reaching out to and maintaining a lot of the friendships that were already like people who really helped me in a lot of ways. But I've actually started reaching out to like those who I don't get to hear from as often Mm -hmm. and that like really mean a lot to me too. And really reconnecting and like making those old friendships Mm -hmm. again and like strengthening those old friendships. And that's really actually helped. And like highly recommend that Mm -hmm. as a person with anxiety who constantly tells myself that like everybody hates me all the time mm-hmm. being able to actively like be shown by people that i care about mm-hmm. and that I, I was close to years ago don't actively hate me we mm-hmm. just like lost touch or things yeah. like that like that's been very genuinely helpful as well as like just being honest with other people and instead of like because one of the things that i've definitely learned very recently is that it's okay to not be good Mm -hmm. most of us are not good yeah just because you haven't seen someone in a really long time doesn't mean you have to fake and prove that you're doing better Mm -hmm. than what you are and that it's actually like one of the things that made like these relationships that i'm reconnecting and rekindling with happen like really well and like strengthen really quickly is just both of us being very honest of like i'm not as good as i could be right now man yeah because i feel like that honesty like you said brings people closer together because you know admitting someone that you're not doing too hot like that takes Mm -hmm. a lot of i don't want to say courage but it does take a lot of courage a lot of courage a lot of balls to do Mm -hmm. and it's hard to admit that so being able to admit that to somebody you know it makes sense that it would it would strengthen a friendship strengthen a bond because you know realizing you're not alone makes Mm -hmm. you feel a lot better which is awesome so oh yeah so just wanted to give a little like mm-hmm. virtual love to everybody out there who also mm-hmm. may not be super mentally doing yes. good right now. Yes. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Yeah, like, we're here for you. We love yeah. you. Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything major with me. I can't really think of anything. Um, I met my nephew for the first time yesterday. Oh God, he yes. was so fucking cute. He's only six pounds. He's so cute. He's so small. Oh, my God. He's so cute. <laughs> but he's so cute. Um, <laughs> I saw my family yesterday. Des is actually sleeping in the next room. I was hoping we were going to like drag him on here but um he's in a lot of sleep debt so he's sleeping off which is nice because i was up real, i was up at 7 a.m for therapy this morning so that was a Proud of you though. fun thanks <laughs> i love talking about my feelings first thing in the morning love it nice. so yeah so now we're here recording we're gonna have a chill day yeah. um as of tomorrow it will be we've, we've mentioned briefly before about how um, we had a really bad roommate mm-hmm. um, when I first moved in. It was me, Tay, and this other roommate. And it's kind of how we got powder. He got her and then essentially was neglecting her, was kind of being mm-hmm. a dick. I wouldn't be shocked if he was hitting her, too. Yeah. Just because she's mm-hmm. very... Yeah. He was she, a prick. Yeah. He was awful. She had a really rough start at the beginning. And we, she came into our household when she was six and a half weeks old. Yeah. And she was barely a pound. Yeah. Um, And he wouldn't get her any worm medicine anything like that he wouldn't um feed her wouldn't he, feed her wouldn't rub she, her butt to go to the bathroom no she wasn't potty trained so she didn't know she wasn't mm-hmm. literally broke at all because she mm-hmm. was six weeks old and she wasn't weaned too no. and she we had to feed her with a bottle half the time yeah um and so he was willing wasn't willing to do that um no. so with that being said we eventually were like hey um get up 
like put up or shut up like yeah either do better or get or, out of the way yeah and so that's how she became mine and there's a huge, huge altercation on the valentine's day last year where he tried to steal her um mm-hmm. even though he was in the same house he took her took her collar off and walked outside yeah. with everything pushed tay and cops were called and thankfully mm-hmm. when tay was she amazingly grabbed his jacket and in it his jacket were his phone his car keys and his wallet and if he wouldn't have done that i don't think yeah. i would have had a cat right now no. um so with that being said you know, cops were called. He, we essentially asked him to move out, um, and stuff like that. And so tomorrow it'll be a year ago that we signed mm-hmm. a, a year since we've signed the lease with mm-hmm. just us two. So it's we're kind of having a little celebration day too. Like yes. it's been a year of safety, a year of us, you know, feeling safe in our home, which is nice. So, you mm-hmm. know, shout out to anybody who's never felt safe in their home, whether it be for familial reasons, for roommates, mm-hmm. for domestic violence, whatever. It sucks. It sucks having to literally sucks. that night. I literally packed up my life in five minutes. And, and ran out and i had and, to go back to work yep and i i remember going to the person that i was dating's house at the time and literally just completely falling apart the mm-hmm. second i got through the door sitting there thinking my whole life of what i knew was over mm-hmm. the home that i had made mm-hmm. was gone the friendship that i had made with you i was mm-hmm. terrified was mm-hmm. gone that i was in this horribly traumatic situation mm-hmm. where i thought this person was going to harm me mm-hmm. and that i felt responsible because i didn't protect mm-hmm. her and that i mm-hmm. didn't do more yeah like, but when in reality awful. like you know everything that you did do was exactly what should have happened i don't think we've ever really talked this openly about on the podcast just because it's a big trauma for both of us but if you look at the root of it um it's kind of the we were friends before this happened but i feel like this was kind of the bonding moment with us Mm -hmm. like we kind of was like we didn't i think i don't think either of us realized how close we were and how much we were relying on each other until we were apart that week and then we came back and i remember i remember exactly where i was our landlord texted us and was like, he's leaving. You guys can come back and sign the lease. I was like, can mm-hmm. we come back on Monday? Cause that was the first day you had started, yeah. not this job, but you have now the job before. Yes. Um, and so he was like, can you come sign the lease on them on Monday? And I was like, well, I'm off on Monday. That works. That works perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I was at Walmart with my parents. Cause I was living with them for the week with powder. And um, I called you and was like, Hey, Don, our, our, our landlord so we can come back. And you like immediately burst into tears on the phone. You were yeah. like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a lot. So that happened a year ago. Um, we signed the lease a year ago tomorrow mm-hmm. um, on the 21st so it was kind of like a nice little you know long wind explanation to say we're having a little bit of a, like a celebration day too because yeah. you know it's been a year of us you know feeling safe a year of us like having our little family our little home you know mm-hmm. complete with everyone being back together and you know and finally making our own I think and then in a few months it'll be a year since we've had started the podcast yeah. which is crazy because we started in the beginning of May of last year Insane. which is insane because it's like you know it, we went from something just like us doing just for shits and giggles to mm-hmm. you know now we have like a bunch of followers yeah, we have people our, who actually listen yeah people like, who we don't know yeah. who listen that's the keyword yeah. like mm-hmm. we have you know we always knew like our therapist and our friend aaron have always been like our number one mm-hmm. supports like <laughs> from the get-go yeah. but like it's nice to have other podcasters who literally will be like I want to listen because I like you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That means a lot to us. So, Absolutely. you know, we appreciate all of y'all. And that's, you know, like I said, it's a lot of uh, not to be like trauma dumpy, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's kind of what's been going on with us. We're doing OK, question mark. Ow. And Powder doing just bit best. my arm. Like a li- I was just talking to her, talking about her. Very and nice. she decided to be a dick. Well, anyway, so we'd. I wish that we could bring you back up today. Mm-hmm. As Morbid often says. Yes. However, um, Tay has been hyping no. this case up for me yeah. for mm, about a month and a half now. I've been like not wanting to do it because it's such a long case and 
it's heavy. This is going to be very heavy. Mm. It's a kid case. It's a kid case again. I want everyone to please very much take great care of yourself. So we also are going to have a lot of discussions with this case about racism Mm -hmm. because it really is what the outcomes of this case and why it even exists is 100 Mm percent racism is the cause Mm. obviously we are both two white folks Mm -hmm. but this is important it does need to be Mm -hmm. talked about it it doesn't matter like this country has been so marred in Mm -hmm. its history by racism everything that currently exists like all of the systematic racism that exists it was put there in our systems purposefully mm. by racist people yep. and still exists it's still impacting mm-hmm. people it's still a problem and that's why this needs to be talked about because situations entirely like this can do and continue to happen because mm-hmm. of the racist systems that have been put yep. in place i mean for fuck's sake you can even look at something as simple as like you know two people something that i encounter every day we'll mm-hmm. say is two people applying for benefits if you have mm-hmm. a white mother of two children i'd say a 24 year old mother of two mm-hmm. children who's applying for benefits people be like okay good you need the help but if you have a black woman who is mm-hmm. 24 years old has the exact same exact same circumstance yep. but that she's black it would be like oh well, why are you taking advantage of the government why can't you mm-hmm. pull yourself up by the bootstraps it's that and the other yep. you know what i mean so that's how i see it every day but also something as simple as like you know a crime mm-hmm. you know pure example yeah. my um my co-worker's daughter um got into a car accident recently and mm-hmm. my co-worker is a white woman but her daughter's black her, her daughter's mixed but mm-hmm. darker yeah. skinned mm-hmm. um and her daughter got into a car accident and not even it wasn't even a car accident she like didn't even think she tapped someone's like she like okay. her daughter like tapped someone's bumper like a small fender bender. small small fender bender not even like the she didn't, the daughter didn't realize she hit someone until the mm-hmm. passenger got out and was like oh my god you hit us whatever yeah i think it was an insurance scam thing like oh, one of those yeah, ones yeah. but um that's upsetting my coworker was like, are you going to call the cops? And her daughter was like, well, I have some weed in my car. Mm-hmm. And her, my coworker was like, don't call the cops. Yeah. Because she's a black woman. Yep. Like, so you're going to call, like, the fact that even something as simple as that as, like, mm-hmm. my white coworker telling her black daughter saying, don't call the cops because yeah. you have weed in your car. Whereas, if even if, like, even if we both have medical cards, if mm-hmm. I, I, have my med- uh, I have my medical card, yep. you know what I mean? If I have weed in my car, like, they're not going to do anything to me because I'm no. a white woman. I mean, they, they might, but, like, they're probably not going to. More than likely, Whereas yeah. if they have someone who is my age, same mm-hmm. circumstance, same job, same car, same whatever, and you have your medical card, but you, you know, you're a black woman, they'll probably take it a yeah. lot harder than, than they would take it for a white woman. So, exactly. you know, we're, like Tay said, we're both white people, but we're very aware and very anti-racist and very, you know, aware of what systematic oppression is for people of color we haven't experienced it but we have worked with people who have and worked for people who have and And it very much exists and Mm -hmm. neither of us will ever try to deny that it does not and that's exactly what goes on in Mm -hmm. this case entirely so start us off in the late 1970s the city of atlanta was ever expanding the city was aiming to become a real hub in the south So although, like any other southern city, it had been marred by the consistent racism that Mm -hmm. has plagued the United States, but at the time, this time at Atlanta's journey, the city's image and perception was changing. Okay. At this time, people were touting this as like the Wakanda of the South, a black mecca where black communities were not just developing, but in some parts were thriving. Mm -hmm. There were whole communities full of just black professionals and communities that uh, there were not just black doctors, but entirely black hospitals. Oh, wow. Nightclubs. The community was booming and people were moving there in droves into Atlanta because of this growing industry at the time. Mm -hmm. 
Which is a lot considering not even 10 years prior there was still segregation. Absolutely. Which is awesome. This is a huge deal. The city is trying to change. Mm -hmm. So in 1973, Atlanta elected its first black mayor, Maynard Jackson. So Jackson was creating significant changes and was very much looking to improve the city. So he fought to better integrate the police force and wanted more funding for black and women owned businesses. And was, he was really looking to truly develop the Atlanta airport as one of the biggest and best in the country. So to do this, Jackson had to be very aware of the opinions of investors and developers. Mm-hmm. So although all of these positive things were happening and were occurring for the black communities in Atlanta, I still want to make sure that we are still very aware of the fact that this is Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta was still very surrounded by extremely racist communities and still had racists on all sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was like this little, like you said, like little mm-hmm. mecca where mm-hmm. people of color and black people could go and feel like a little bit better. But then the moment they step outside of Atlanta, it was very, yes. like, very, very racist, very. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. And although the city was changing, but the same re- thing that happens with every city that's changing, um, there's still gentrification, yep. there's still areas that are clearly very much segregated off mm-hmm. and poor because they're black mm-hmm. communities. Yeah. So. This was this was still a city that was never not suffocated by violent racism mm-hmm. and crushing financial exploitation. Mm-hmm. So I tell you all of this because I want to make sure that everybody has a basis of understanding of the culture that existed in Atlanta at this time and that is so important to this story. So all of this that is occurring, what was also occurring is that between the years of 1979 to 1981, at least 23 children and six adults were murdered in Atlanta, almost all of them male and all of them black. Holy shit. To almost 30 fucking people? Yes. I've never fucking heard of this. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. I guess yep. we're really coming fucking down today. Shit. Oh, yeah. Damn. So everything began in the summer of 1979 mm-hmm. when two boys' bodies were discovered in the woods. Mm-hmm. Both of these boys had been missing for several days. One disappeared at the movies and the other from a skating rink. In a moment, I will go through in more detail the victims and the police efforts. Uh, but why this case is so important to talk about is that in just a around a 22-month period of time, uh, 24 kids were murdered, almost all male, with only two of them being girls. All were kidnapped and either strangled, shot, stabbed, or bludgeoned. Oh, my God. So is this – so you're saying – so there was – Hold on, I'm gonna rewind for a second. So you yeah. said 23 kids, six adults. Yep. But then you're so then the 24 p- four kids who were abducted. Is it mm-hmm. the same person? We'll talk about that. Okay, just because you said okay, okay. Yeah. Right. So their bodies were mostly discovered in the woods, in rivers, and under br- under bridges, and behind mm-hmm. dumpsters. Mm-hmm. Four of the victims were young adults, but the majority of the victims were between the ages of seven and seventeen. Jesus. So one victim that was that's attributed to this case, ten-year-old Darren Glass, went missing in September of 1980, and his body has still never been found. Oh my God. So in July of 1979, fourteen-year-old Eddie or Edward Teddy Hope Smith was last seen on July 21st after hanging out with his friends at a local skating rink. Four days later, 13-year-old Alfred Q. Evans disappeared after leaving home to go to the the movies. So on July 28th, both boys' bodies were discovered in nearby woods, both clearly murdered. 
Teddy's cause of death being a 22 caliber gunshot wound to his upper back and Q's was attributed to strangulation. Wow. And so the, even just the little information you already have about mm-hmm. the one the one boys whose mm-hmm. uh, the wound was on his back like yeah. that to me says he was running away. Yeah. Which is like terrifying. Mm-hmm. And these Jesus. were these were kids. Mm-hmm. Just kids being kids. Jesus. So and most oddly about uh, Evan's body or Evans's body was the boy was found dressed in all black and wearing an unfamiliar belt. Mm-hmm. So at this very beginning point of the investigation, police were unsure if these two murders were connected, given that they went missing on different days and that they were killed in different ways. Mm-hmm. However, one thing that was said most often at this point in the investigation was that the police's attitude was often being described as apathetic at best. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean... If I can take a guess, it's probably white cops. Mostly white cops. Yeah. And these are two black kids mm-hmm. that so far they don't really have any leads and have no idea mm-hmm. who killed them, why yeah. they went missing, Which or, is... and didn't even look for them while they were missing. Mm-hmm. So on September 4th, 1979, 14-year-old Milton Harvey disappeared after going to the bank for his mother on his bike. So his bike was discovered a week later resting up against a tree near the Charlie Brown Airport, but Milton's skeletal remains were not found until November of that year. Mm -hmm. So when he was found, the coroner was not able to determine a cause of death, but did note that he was found in all the clothing he went missing in, except for his tall striped tube socks and shoes. Okay, interesting. Very odd. So Yusuf Bell was nine years old when he disappeared on his way to the local store for his neighbor on October 21st, 1979. Mm-hmm. So witnesses that were interviewed at the time of his disappearance stated that they, they saw the boy get into a blue car at the intersection of McDaniel and Fulton. So one of these witnesses stated that the driver to them looked like the boy's father. Okay. So Yusuf's body was discovered on November 11th at the abandoned E.P. Johnson Middle or Elementary School in a crawl space by a janitor who was looking for a place to pee oh wow yeah so he was he was found still wearing the brown shorts that he had last been seen in but with masking tape stuck to his shorts Mm -hmm. so he had been struck in the head twice uh but his cause of death was strangulation jesus christ so police investigating bell's case did not immediately link him with any of the other cases at this time as well as for many months during the early parts of this investigation police refused to think these murders were connected so how many do we have as of now four okay because i'm gonna be completely transparent with you this is how i am when i'm listening to podcasts i lose track of numbers and names Mm -hmm. very easily so i'm gonna also for everyone out there Mm -hmm. it's not that i don't give a fuck is that I just I have a hard time keeping track mm-hmm. of all this shit. So just putting it out well, there. There's a lot of victims. Exactly. So In my head, I'm like, do I need a fucking a notebook hard. to like keep track of everyone? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a lot okay, yeah. to keep track of. So 12 year old Angel Lanier disappeared on March 4th, 1980. She had last been seen watching TV at a friend's house. So this is a girl. Yes. OK. This is our first female victim. So when she was first reported missing, police were trying to adamantly convince the family and the public that Angel was a runaway. How old was she? Twelve. I, okay, I fucking hate when cops mm-hmm. are like, you were a runaway. Like, just a runaway. no, and well, that'll actually come into the case that I'm mm-hmm. looking, I'm going to be presenting next, one of the mm-hmm. one I'm researching now. It's like, they're not, a, and I hate when cops are like, they're a runaway, and the family's like, no, she wouldn't run away, and they're no. like, how would you know? It's like. Because they're my fucking daughter. Yeah, like, like, 
There are some families that I think probably would lie about things like oh, that yeah. because they're abusing their children. But for the most part, I think mm-hmm. usually people know their kids pretty well. And here's the thing. If well. They wouldn't report their kid missing if they it, were abusing them and trying to kill them. Exactly. And Jesus. so Angel's family was very much like, no, I don't think she would have run away. The police were trying to convince everybody, nope, she's just a runaway. And even if they're a runaway, that doesn't mean they're not important to look and for. less dead yeah it's kind of like if if it, even if they mm-hmm. were run away like we talk about we've talked before about how a lot of times police won't see sex workers they'll see them as less as yep. less dead just because someone is a runaway or someone is homeless or someone has mental mm-hmm. illness or whatever profession they decide to do does not make them less dead they're still yeah. a human they're still human they don't they're not any less important mm-hmm. but six days after she went missing on march 10th angel's body was found tied to a tree in a vacant wooden lot uh, on Camp or Campbellton Road, only mere blocks from her home. Oh my God! She was found dressed in the same jean outfit that she was last uh, seen in, but she was found with her hands tied with an electrical cord. This is really awful, and with white panties that did not belong to her stuffed into her mouth. Oh my God! So her cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation by ligature strangulation. Mm. So one of the men interviewed. Sorry, wait. Yes. Side note. So the one, a couple, the one kid who was killed by strangulation earlier, the boy. Yes. Was that manual or ligature? Do we know? Not sure. Okay, but strangulation nonetheless. But strangulation, okay. yes. So one of the men interviewed by police as a potential suspect that had family that lived nearby was said to wear an electrical cord as a belt and had a previous conviction of abducting a child. Mm. He, however, is not listed as a suspect in her death and was never charged. Even though it kind of like points towards him. So hello. Even though he seems like a pretty good suspect. Hello. That'll be a theme that happens quite often in this case Mm. that we'll talk about deeply. So on March 11th, 1980, 11-year-old Jeffrey Mathis disappeared while running errands for his mother. So Jeffrey was known to help others carry carry out their groceries at the local Kroger, but after being gone for so long, he was reported missing. So months after he he went missing, a local girl said she had witnessed Jeffrey get into a blue car with two men. One of the men was a light-skinned man and the other was dark-skinned. So, 11 months after Mathis disappeared, police, with with the help of cadaver dogs, discovered skeletal remains in a briar patch. So, no cause of death was able to be determined, and the remains have been attributed to being Mathis. However, there are some that theorize that these could could have been the remains of a later victim that we'll talk about, Darren Glass, the one whose body was never discovered. So... Okay, so they were saying this girl said that she saw this this guy yes. get into or this was, how old was he again? He was I think eleven. Okay, so saw this boy essentially yeah. mm-hmm. get into a blue car. Didn't someone else see mm-hmm. them get another kid get into a blue car? Yes, mm, they did. Connections, connections. Yes. yes. Eric Middlebrooks was fifteen years old when he disappeared on May eighteenth, nineteen eighty. So Eric was last seen answering his house phone and then leaving on his bike in a hurry, only taking with him a hammer to repair his bike. Okay. So the next day, his body and his bike were found in the back of a, uh, in the back of the garage of a local bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to this bar, at the time, housed the Georgia State Department of Offender Rehabilitation. So his bike and the body. Yes. Oh shit! Yes. Inside the garage. Uh, kind of in back of this garage. Oh, Jesus. Yes. So his cause of death was found to be blunt force trauma. And important to note uh, for Eric himself was that 
Just weeks before Eric had died, he had testified against three other kids in a robbery case. Mm. So on June 9th, 1980, Christopher Richardson, who was 12 years old, disappeared when going to the local rec center to swim. The body that was identified as his was not found until January of 1981. So in that same location, they discovered a later victim's body, Earl Terrell. So both boys were found after a neighbor's dog was sniffing through the wooded area. They were discovered in and came home after smelling a horrible smell. So Richardson's body was discovered, was missing some articles of clothing, and was wearing swim trunks the family did not recognize. But he was going to the pool. He was going to the pool. But they weren't his the ones that the, the, the yes. family recognized. Yes. They weren't okay. ones that they said he owned. They okay. said they were someone else's. Which is weird. Very strange. But also not to play devil's advocate and be mm-hmm. like well maybe if he wasn't yeah. like if he would have just came home with them yeah one thing because like yeah. i could see him being like hey i had this swimsuit and someone else didn't have one and i lent it to them and they lent me another one like you know yeah. one of those like or like i had an accident and someone exactly. else lent, lent me exactly a swimsuit, or i was at my friend's house and didn't which, have my which, swimsuit with me. which that very well could have happened could have before his death yes but the fact that it, it's still one of those things that like could be like seems a little yeah odd. especially because the other um the, the one other kid was wearing a belt that the family his. didn't recognize yeah. yes so a little odd here so police were not able to identify a cause of death and when they removed the bodies from the area they accidentally left body parts uh and some of huh? the victim's teeth behind. what the fuck yeah hello so like i put this in here not to shock or upset but to show that this is the I don't like they lack careless. of carelessness and really just like how much they were fucking up. Jesus. Even just early it's this literally time. basic police work to yeah. make sure the crime scene is cleared. It's like yep. it reminds me very much of there's an episode of um, Unsolved Mysteries that I watched where a girl like it was a she went on a walk mm-hmm. and then disappeared and they eventually found part of her body. She was they said she was hit by a train. Okay. And she committed suicide. Oh, I remember. This yes. One. Yes. However, like they cleaned up the train yeah. and the, the tracks her parents and her family went down to search the tracks again they found pieces of her skull with her hair still attached oh, because the cops didn't fucking clean up because they're like yeah. oh it's a suicide yeah like it reminds me of shit like that where it's yeah. like you're being fucking careless yeah and it's a basis of policing to make sure the crime scene is even back then yes the crime scene is fucking cleared how many of like back then is around when like is right before Richard Ramirez and, yep. and Bundy and shit like that. Like they made sure those crime scenes were fucking mm-hmm. sectioned off. Yep. And it's because these are little black children that they're not fucking giving a hell exactly. because it's, it's obvious that they don't care. Yep. It makes, that makes me so fucking mad. entirely unacceptable. Like mm-hmm. just so much disrespect. Especially teeth. Teeth. Especially teeth. Like yeah. not obviously every part of the body is important, yeah. but teeth are one of those things that can identify somebody. Yep. And you're leaving And you're leaving teeth. that behind. You're leaving mm. a children's bot children's body parts behind. Yep. Where you're not like mm. it's, it's so disrespectful. Up. It's, it's fucked extremely up. Extremely disrespectful and just horrible. Like even if we're putting aside the fact that you're being disrespectful to the the families and the person mm-hmm. who died themselves. People go through this area. Yes. You are leaving behind literal body parts for other random mm-hmm. innocent people to yep. stumble upon. And that's traumatizing for the family for not having their entire child back. It's just, it's so deeply unacceptable, everything that keeps mm-hmm. happening here. So originally, the coroner said that the dental records of these remains did not match those of Christopher Richardson, but later said they did. 
So okay. I don't know why for that one. I feel like I haven't seen that. Okay. Yep. Very odd. So when doing a search of the area where the bodies were found, many items were found nearby, such as shotgun shells, a penthouse magazine, a gallery magazine, a cigarette butt, a mag- and magnetic recording tape. Mm-hmm. So fingerprints from the magazines were matched with someone that the task force that then later formed said that they did not consider a strong suspect in the case. Um, hello? Yeah, so they had matching fingerprints to someone, but whoever this someone is, they're claiming they don't think is a strong suspect in this case. But why would you not fucking investigate that, though? Like, that, mm-hmm. you, that, if there are fingerprints at a crime scene, yep. you investigate those fucking fingerprints. Are you a fucking moron? Clearly. This This gives me, and I know, like, this is... Okay, so we had a situation at work recently, and mm-hmm. it's, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but it's going to no, loop back. Good. There's a reason behind, behind it. And there's going to be long episodes, so I apologize yeah. ahead of time for the tangents. We had recently when my coworker took, picked up a hotline call. It was a woman who got a PFA. The sheriff, she went to the cops because this person, um, she got a PFA against her boyfriend, whatever. She wanted her truck back. And mm-hmm. her name was on the title. She put, she put everything down. He paid he He put one payment down. Cops said, hmm, cops said it was a civil matter. She had to go and get and get um, and and file in civil court to get the truck back. Mind you, his this guy's name wasn't on the title. No down payment, whatever. She found that he had outstanding bench warrants for not attending trials for child support. Yeah. And she was like, can you go arrest him? And they were like, I, we can't. That's a constable issue. Are and, you kidding and me? And were, then they were they like. They called a constable. Or here's here's my thing. The basics of full, uh, fucking policing. You can. I don't you give can a pick f- people up for it's, anything. It's a bench warrant. Yeah. How many clients have we had that yes. have had bench warrants have been like, I don't want to get pulled over by a cop. They're going to arrest me. The basics of fucking policing. We had a client once who exactly. at the shelter we worked at who literally got picked up on a bench warrant mm-hmm. because they didn't even know they had a court date that they missed. Exactly. Because they had moved and didn't exactly. get Exactly. Cops are supposed to pick up. You know what I mean? So I forget what oh, made me them. say this. Yeah. What you you said something that made me say this something about oh, cops being stupid? Yeah, that they just weren't considering someone exactly with fingerprints. the bare minimum of, of policing. Like you're telling me, like this, like and here's the thing: the reason this cop wasn't doing anything was because it was a DV issue. He was probably an abuser who was like, "Fuck you, I'm not going to enforce you. this, whatever." Because we all well, know, we, know. we all know the statistics behind cops. Yep. Like, please. Um. So you know, in that case, it was a woman, a mm-hmm. a a woman, because mm-hmm. obviously women don't fucking matter. No, it was a co- a male cop saying to the woman. Woman, hey i can't enforce this because it's dv because you're a woman x y and z that's the basic of policing is arresting somebody yep. basics of policing in this case is taking fingerprints investigating all that stuff and you're not doing it because They're, it's a little black boy yep that's why you're you not have doing fingerprints it. literally like you could use this for anything and like there's so many fucking times in any other case that they could pick like the mm-hmm. smallest detail to be yep. able to get a warrant to do anything like especially at this time too yep like in now I'm remembering like the McDonald's scam case. Mm-hmm. They had like the smallest amount of evidence, but used that to get a warrant and then found so much shit yep. and like did everything right. They had breadcrumbs. They had yes. less than this. Exactly. And they still put together a case. Ridiculous. It didn't get convicted because I think really the jury kind of yeah. fucking dropped the ball on that one. But, but they, it was they did p- good police, police work. work. That was yes. A plus police work. This is fucking failure police work. This is not even passing a fucking no open book quiz police work exactly like literally the book is in front of you you could they gave you you the answer key Mm -hmm. and you're still failing hello yeah you're just ignoring you're not even willing to read hello on june 22nd 1980 seven-year-old latanya wilson 
mm-hmm. was abducted from her family's apartment. A nearby witness uh, saw what they said were two men taking her. One of the men climbed into the apartment through the window, took her, and then left out the back door, leaving it open. Okay. So this witness then later saw the same man holding Latanya in his arms in a parking lot outside of the building talking to another man. That's fucking weird. Yes. So after her abduction, this is when the FBI became involved with the Atlanta child murders case. Oh, wow. It took how many fucking dead kids? I think we're at like nine at this point. It took almost a dozen, almost 10 fucking kids. Yep. Are you like, are you fucking kidding me? Because yep. here's my thing. Last time I fucking checked and obviously different, mm-hmm. different situation, not saying that the person I'm about to mention is better than these kids. Yeah. But in JC Dugard's case, the FBI was involved in literally 20 minutes. Yep. So why did it take 10 fucking kids to get murdered mm-hmm. for them to get involved? Oh, wait, I know why. Because they're black. That's literally Excuse exactly. Excuse the fuck. What? Yep, that's exactly what happened here. But before I get more into the involvement of uh, the FBI, uh, to finish up Latanya's story, her remains were discovered on October 18th of that year. So her body was found in a fenced-in area at the end of Verbena Street, close to where she had been kidnapped. So her body, by that point, had become skeletal, and no cause of death was able to be determined. So an important thing to note here uh, is that just a few days before her kidnapping, a maintenance man had replaced glass from the same window she was abducted from. Mm-hmm. And this same man later confessed to committing another murder and when he was arrested was found to have pictures in his home of all of the missing and murdered children. Like all the kids. All the kids. <sighs> That's a little sketch in my book. Yep. This person was never identified as a suspect mm-hmm. and... Yeah, it'll get a lot more frustrating when I start telling you about so the suspect. The, the case I'm researching now, mm-hmm. like I brought up before, mm-hmm. part of the reason they connected him to these other murders mm-hmm. was because he had pictures and newspaper clippings. Why the fuck, pardon headphone user, I'm sorry. Yeah. Why the fuck would you not connect this or use him as a suspect? I'm. Yep. Ah! Yep. The fuck, man? <laughs> Jesus, Literally. I think it's more frustrating. Uh-huh. <gasps> yeah, it gets I'm more frustrating. To... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, this case is fucking aggravating. Um, Actually, side note, uh, sm- small little to- tale. So the last time Des was here, I made him watch a documentary with me about this case, and me and him were both sitting there screaming about this and talking about this particular case for, like, hours before you came home. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. <laughs> So love it. Yeah. So actually, this would have been also a pretty good case for yeah. him to come in on because we actually watched together a yeah. documentary. Maybe. It. I mean, maybe depending on what time he wakes up, we can convince him to come for the second part. Yeah. So maybe. like we had quite some good discussions oh, Jesus. about this case. Love it. So as discussed before, it was after Latanya's kidnapping that the FBI became involved in this case. So the FBI was being asked to assist in this case by Atlanta PD and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Okay. So I would like to make the distinction that it was in June of 1980 that they began to assist, but they were not formally invited or on the case until later. Wait, repeat that for me, sorry. So they were helping in June mm-hmm. and started to assist, but they were not formally involved or leading or genuinely a part when it comes to official investigation mm. in the case until later on because they were not formally invited by the district attorney until months later. So the FBI kind of was like, hey, guys, we're going to try to we're help helping. you out a little bit. Yeah. But they, like, like but we all we know didn't... from Criminal Minds, yes. you need the invitation exactly. for Which... them to come in. 
in season two of Mindhunter, this case is talked about. Really? Oh, yes. I've never watched Mindhunter. I need to watch it. It's really good. So yeah. you do need to watch it. This Jesus. case was involved in But Mindhunter. the fact that, that it took that long for them to... A, get involved, yes. but B, to well, be invited. The sad part is is it's clear that the police wanted them invited and wanted this mm, help. It was the, the higher ups. Yes, it was the higher ups that did not extend this invitation Which is fucking ridiculous. Later. Very ridiculous. So, but originally in June, when asked to help, the FBI did not see any evidence that federal law was being violated in this case. True. So they were not being formally invited or able to uh, to take over due to that reason. So, however, mm-hmm. Special Agent John Glover, who was the first African-American to lead an FBI field office, took interest in the case and continued to lend a hand to the investigation. Mm-hmm. So Glover's part was mainly to follow up on any out-of-state leads and assist with getting lab tests testing and assisted with the behavioral science unit developing a profile on the killer okay so the profile that they had formed had been highly debated as accurate amongst the victim's families for reasons we'll discuss in more depth later however at this time the majority of the black community in atlanta at this time believed that the murders of these black children were due to the kkk which i mean is not a not a not valid concern like it's definitely a I understand mm-hmm. why they thought that because, yep. I mean, it's a fucking KKK, so yep. mm, fucking makes sense. Which we'll talk more about the KKK theory mm-hmm. later on. Okay. The BSU, however, put out a profile saying that they believed that the majority of the kids were being killed by the same person rather than a gang or organization, mm-hmm. and that they believed that the killer would have to have been black as they believed that a white person could not easily travel in black neighborhoods of Atlanta without creating suspicion. Valid, so we'll yeah. discuss later the merits of this theory, but the individuals involved with this case, when interviewed at this point, uh, I do want to point out that there were always white people around in the neighborhood that could have easily not been looked at as suspicious or s- looked at suspiciously, given that the majority of servicemen in Georgia at this time were white, as well as there were parts of these neighborhoods where drugs were being sold and white people were customers, too. Okay, okay. I I originally was like, you know what? I get mm-hmm. where where they're coming from yeah. saying he had to be a black black person who was, you know, mm-hmm. who was doing these murders. But now that you're saying that, like that makes sense. Because yes. and it would it would also make sense that it's mm-hmm. someone who frequent that frequented the neighborhood, not yes. just someone who's coming and prowling and taking yeah. someone and leaving. Exactly. It makes sense that it was someone who's familiar with the neighborhood. Yes. So I get both sides of it because statistically speaking, it is very rare for a serial killer to hunt outside of their own race. Yes. However, it is it's it should not be written off that it absolutely could be white yeah. people or a white person that did this because there are absolute like mm-hmm. th- although these communities in a lot of ways were segregated in who mm-hmm. lived there it wasn't segregated in who hung out there yep true so like that's the difference true 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 So it's also important to note that one month before the FBI became involved in May of 1980, multiple victims' mothers, including Camille Bell, so Yusuf's mother, Willie Mae Mathis, so Jeffrey's mother, and Venus Taylor, Angel's mother, Mm -hmm. organized the Community to Stop Children's Murders organization. 
Mm-hmm. So this group was formed to pressure the police department into truly investigating these murders and the connection between these cases. So as these women banded together and began comparing notes about the investigation, each one of them had found that the police department was not keeping in touch with any one of them and was not answering their questions regarding their children's murders. Not shocking. Nope. So these badass women went on national news and would publicly talk about the state of investigations and demand justice for their children. Good for them. Yes. So this is once again again black women taking all Mm -hmm. of the weight of the world on their backs Mm -hmm. basically begging the world to give a shit about their children Mm -hmm. and them so jesus fucking christ which is the bare minimum bare minimum like they're not like they're not doing the bare minimum like they're asking for the bare minimum exactly they're asking for human decency jesus so it is truly because of them that they that really any movement and any attention happened because it seemed like in many ways people who were in power at this time were willing to ignore what was occurring mm-hmm. but like always badass black mothers mm-hmm. had to come in and literally beg for the bare minimum and say our children fucking mattered mm-hmm. investigate their deaths ridiculous absolutely ridiculous so Aaron Weish was 10 years old when he disappeared on June 23rd, 1980. He disappeared outside of a grocery store. Mm-hmm. So one witness saw him getting into a blue Chevy with uh, one or two black men. Mm-hmm. So another woman saw him being led out of Tanner's Corner Grocery by a six foot tall, 180 pound black male who was approximately 30 years old and had a mustache and goatee. So the car that she saw him take Aaron to matched the description of what the first witness had had said and matched the description of the car that That one witness saw Jeffrey Mathis disappear in. um, That blue car, bitch. That blue car. Now, question for you. That Mm -hmm. person who had all the pictures of the boys, Mm -hmm. are we going to revisit him? Nope. Because the police never investigated him. So we don't know if he has a blue car. Nope. Oh, my God. I'm going to fucking scream. Yes. The police oh work in this fucking case. This is, is going to make me rip my so, fucking eyebrows yep, out. So aggravating. So another witness said that they later saw Aaron outside of a shopping center around 6 p.m. So however, the following day, Aaron's body was discovered under a bridge. They determined that the cause of death to be asphyxiation from a broken neck suffered in a fall. A fall? A fall. So okay. more than likely he was pushed off this bridge. Jesus. So police believe that he was thrown off the bridge before his death and died from a broken neck that he sustained during that. Jesus. So in early July of 1980, nine-year-old Anthony Carter disappeared from his neighborhood after being last seen playing hide-and-seek with his cousin. Mm-hmm. So his body was discovered in the late hours slash early morning hours of July 6th to the 7th. So his body was found by a warehouse in the neighborhood, some sources say by the dumpster. Mm-hmm. So he was found by employees of the warehouse. He was found with multiple stab wounds. And by the lack of blood where he was found, they believed that he was murdered elsewhere and his body was transferred long mm. after he had died. Jesus. So also in July of 1980, on July 30th, 1980, 10-year-old Earl Terrell went missing from the area. So those who thought uh, they had last seen Earl said that they thought it was him that was sitting outside of the South Bend Park pool after being kicked out by a lifeguard. So witnesses report that they saw him at a local house looking for a friend of his, buying freeze pops at a store about a block away from his house, and later crying on the corner near Jonesboro. Oh, that's really sad. Like, this was a baby. Like, Mm. that's also... (laughs) 
what like just keeps hurting me like nine-year-old ten-year-olds like Mm -hmm. these are kids just being kids being abducted going to a pool literally like he's going to a movie he's going to the store for his neighbor like going to a roller rink like just doing kid Mm. shit like this little baby just crying on the corner of a street Mm. because he got kicked out of the pool by a lifeguard like Mm. this is a baby Mm. and for any person to think that this is a child that deserves to be less dead Mm -hmm. because of the color of his skin pisses me ridiculous and they mm, they deserve to not be loved because of their idiocracy and their fucking yes. racism like <laughs> how could you just look at a child and think that one child is more deserving of another R- ridiculous ridiculous something like that just so fucked up the day after he went missing his family received a phone call from a middle-aged white man with a southern draw saying that he had earl in alabama and was demanding 200 dollars by friday but no other ransom call ever came after this so the family got that call. The family got that call. How do they know he was a white man? Did he identify himself as such? I think for the most part, like in this case, when they say that, like, you can kind of tell in gotcha. someone's voice. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of one of those. Um, that I, I don't know. I kind of have like mixed feelings that I'll talk about more when it comes to some of the suspects and theories for this case. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not if that was person who really did hurt earl or Mm -hmm. if this was just another one of those shitty situations of Mm -hmm. someone finding out like oh a child's abducted i'm gonna like be shitty to the family it's like the chicago tylenol poison poison how there's a guy who was like if you don't do this i'm gonna Mm -hmm. you're not gonna stop it's like you're not a part of the fucking case hop off yeah or like with the albert fish case Mm -hmm. when people were literally sending fake letters to abducted families like or families that had abducted children like Mm -hmm fucked up stuff so i don't know i have mixed feelings about that one but his remains were found by the neighbor's dog that was looking for a later victim luby jeter um but his his body was the one that was found along with who they identified as christopher richardson so both boys bodies were discovered uh were the ones that they discovered on january of 1981 who were skeleton or who were skeletons and they could not i have identified Mm. oh excuse me their cause of death Mm-hmm. So as well as they were found, um, all with the magazines and junk uh, w- that was with the body that had identifiable, uh, identifiable fingerprints from a man that the task force didn't deem to be a suspect. Of course. So he was one of those two bodies that had the mm. fingerprint magazine near them. Love it. Yeah. Love not using fingerprints when it's the basics of fucking policing. Yep. So Jesus. in August, uh, 13-year-old Clifford Jones was visiting family in Atlanta from Ohio. So oh, Clifford no. didn't even live in Atlanta. Oh, my God. So on August 20th, 1980, Clifford and his cousins went to the local store to pick up some needed items for one of his cousin's birthday cakes. <gasps> no. So while there, his oldest cousin allowed him to stay outside the store to help customers carry their groceries to their cars. What a sweet boy. Sweet boy. What boy do you know that would be like, I want to stand yeah. outside and help people bring stuff to their cars? So a couple of peop- of these kids did do that, which some mm-hmm. of them did this, like, they would get, like, spare change mm-hmm. or things like that as thank yous for that. So this was kind of common for mm-hmm. some kids in this area to do this, but, like, that's such a sweet thing and like such a simple like yeah they might be wanting a couple extra like change for maybe like Mm -hmm. bubble gum or fucking freeze pops Mm -hmm. and little kid shit but like they're still doing a nice thing yeah which is like oh my god yeah 
So the, this was the last time that they ever saw him. Jesus. When they came out and could not find him, they assumed that he must have gone back to the family home since he was only visiting the area and didn't know anyone but them. Mm-hmm. So, but when they returned home, Clifford was not there. Mm-hmm. The very next day, Clifford's body was discovered behind a dumpster at the Hollywood Plaza Shopping Center. Three children told the police that through a window in the Hollywood Plaza laundromat that also housed a fan... They witnessed the manager of this laundromat, Jamie Edward Brooks, and a man that they called Calvin go to Clifford. They claimed they saw the two men strangle, beat, and carry Clifford to the trash. Oh my god. So one of the additional witnesses was a 19-year-old with special needs uh, that the police did not take seriously and repeatedly put in their notes. So I'm going to say a word that I deeply do not uh, am not okay with, but this is how the police treated this witness. They repeatedly put in their notes referring to him as retarded. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus. So this young man, Freddie, said that he saw the manager, trigger warning here, uh, molest Clifford before strangling him with a yellow rope. Mm-hmm. So he said that this man then washed the body with soap and a rag and reclothed the boy. Which, important to note, when Clifford's body was found, he had bruises and cuts around his mouth. His underwear was missing. He was found in shorts and shoes that were not his, and his cause of death was ligature strangulation. So the, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. So what this young man saw, although he did have special needs, mm-hmm. he has eyes, and mm-hmm. I think clearly saw what he saw. That's so fucked up. Oh my god. So another witness said that they saw a man wearing a hoodie come out of the manager's home carrying a large plastic bag that he took out to the dumpster and then saw him make a phone call. So the manager of this laundromat, Jamie Edward Brooks, was later arrested for aggravated assault and attempted rape, but was never tried for it. Um, uh-huh. hello? Yes. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. Oh so, my god. I will discuss more about this later, but it is significant, but the crime lab... Uh, when testing uh, Clifford's body, found green fibers on his body. Okay. So the green fibers are definitely something I want you to keep aware of. In the brain? Yep. Keep in the brain. Keep that in your back pocket. Okay. That becomes important later. Okay. So on September 14th, 1980, 11-year-old Darren Glass was last seen getting off the bus after an Atlanta Braves game. So later that evening, Darren's foster mother says that she received an emergency call from him, but when she got patched through to the, uh, patched through the line, it had went dead. So Darren was never seen after this day, and his body has never been discovered. Mm. So Darren's foster brother did claim to know that and to know where he was, and said that he continued to receive phone calls from him until November of 1980. However, mm-hmm. this has never been substantiated. Mm. So police have stated that they believe that he was possibly taken out of state, which is why he has never been found. However, Mm -hmm. Kenny Brown, a close neighbor of Darren's, claimed that he witnessed a black man dressed in a black cap carrying a crying 10 to 12 year old boy into the woods and later heard a gunshot. And this man carry a boy's body back to his car and place it in his trunk. Okay. So it is important to know, however, that a month before Darren went missing, the witness was a, this witness was accused of rape and was later sent to prison. Okay. So the person who said that they saw this whole 
boy being carried into the woods may not be a very credible person. And he may have been saying that knowing that. So he yeah. had already committed these crimes or was going to commit these crimes? Like Oh, a month before Darren had been mi- had went missing, he was accused of these things. So he could have said this being like, hey, I got some info. Yep. Let me off nice. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So, that gives me a little. Because at first I was like, ah, okay, maybe. But then realizing that like yeah. it was before, I'm like, mm, he might have like yeah. d- been doing that yeah, to be like, Yeah, or hey, one of those like. I'm not the real criminal here. This is a criminal. Mm-hmm. So police-wise, however, it was after Darren's disappearance that at the Atlanta P- PD, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and the FBI formed the Kidnapping Task Force to further investigate these abductions. Mm-hmm. So Charles Stevens was 12 years old when he went missing from his home on October 9th, 1980. So Charles was last seen by neighbors drawing and watching TV. Mm-hmm. So until he left to visit his cousin later that day, another neighbor said he saw Charles playing with his skateboard by the dumpster in front of his house. So he then claimed to have seen a man walking in between the buildings where Charles was playing. And when this man was shouted or called out to, this stranger would not answer him. Mm-hmm. So the neighbor uh, named Clark then said that he saw this same man later on again in the evening on the same night that the body was found. Mm-hmm. So Charles's body was found the day after he went missing on October 10th, 1980. So he was found on a grassy hill near the entrance of a local trailer park. So he was found missing his shirt and one of his shoes. Mm-hmm. So the police found rub marks along his nose and mouth, leading them to believe that he was suffocated as his cause of death. Mm. So the lab found not only dog hairs on the body, but two hairs from a Caucasian person's head, mm-hmm. as well as two pubic hairs were found in his boxers. Ugh. So these hairs did not match Charles or the man that was later tried as his killer. Mm. So Interesting. Around this time, the city of Atlanta really became a true powder keg type situation. So the black community was terrified. It was obvious that to them that someone was attacking and killing their children. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's clear. Like, I've now lost track, but at this point, I think there's nearly like 15 plus children. How could you not be scared Mm -hmm. in this aspect? Like, Exactly. So most parents stopped letting their kids play at playgrounds. Many pulled their kids from school. Most of the community rightfully suspected that perhaps these children had been targeted and were victims of the KKK. Mm -hmm. So the community in Atlanta felt justified in the fact that police were not protecting their children from this and that most of the community began taking up and buying firearms to protect their families. Yeah, rightfully fucking so. So by October of 1980, over 800 black citizens had bought guns and began militarizing and training how to use these weapons and guard the community themselves. Yeah. So it's important to note that although the community at large believed that the Klan was responsible, the police and politicians were refusing to take stock in this. So although Mayor Maynard Jackson himself is a black man who was coming out in droves to speak to black communities, he also would not say that these murders were Klan related and was doing everything he could to protect racial tensions from erupting in the city Mm. as he was determined to protect Atlanta from having uh, investors and developers back out from Atlanta-based projects. I mean, I, I I get it. Because you don't want you want your city to be hustling and bustling and, and all yep. that type of stuff, but also you have a fucking epidemic of dead children yep. on your hands. Mm-hmm. So like maybe just maybe, yeah. maybe it might money, be a good idea to not do that. Exactly. Like maybe money and community development can take a backseat when mm-hmm. people are literally dying. Exactly. So 
also in an attempt to protect the children, uh, the police put out a citywide curfew and began working on a bunch of very unusual leads. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what they claimed were to protect these children. I don't think any of these efforts were actually helpful and were mm. pretty fucked up. But they at one point had nearly 100 officers from the Atlanta PD, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and the FBI working on this case. And at one point had even consulted psychics to try to help oh assist in finding leads. Yeah, so like you guys are consulting I hate psychics. psychics, but you're not using fingerprints that are literally like, hey, let's let's scenes. go look at this person who says they can see things. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know this concrete evidence that we have. Let's ignore it. That can go fuck itself. Exactly. I want the psychic. I want to pay money for the psychic. Yeah. You have fingerprints right here, bitch. Yeah. Like, so can basically, you use the at this time, the community and the public, like the general public and um, media, were basically like, "This is a fucking circus," and you guys are I mean, treating yeah. this investigation it, like it, a goddamn joke. It. Yeah, that's what they're doing. That's what they're Jesus doing. fucking Christ. So, nine-year-old Aaron Jackson Jr. went missing from Moreland Avenue Shopping Center on November first, nineteen eighty. So Aaron's body was discovered the next day face up on a riverbank beside a bridge. Mm-hmm. So he found nearly fully clothed. Or he was found nearly fully clothed other than he was missing his socks. Mm-hmm. So his cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation by suffocation. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, a year later, an attorney was found murdered and left in that same spot by two youth offenders. Interesting. Yep. So weirdly enough, like two separate bodies. Yeah. Have been found um, in this that's area weird. for like no reason. After what happened with Aaron and with the number of missing children, missing and murdered children cases becoming a staggeringly large amount, on November 6, 1980, the Attorney General finally officially invited the FBI to help with the investigation. Oh, wow. It's about fucking time. Yep. Like You would think that maybe, I don't know, after two kids were murdered, you'd invite someone mm-hmm. over? Not how yep. many kids? 19? Yep. So this started in June of 1979, and we're now into November of 1980 before we even get the FBI involved. Jesus. And the fact the fact that there were this many kids murdered in that mm-hmm. in, in such a small area. Granted, I, I know Atlanta's pretty big, but like... Yeah. In su- in one city, all these kids were killed mm-hmm. in that sh- not even a, in like a year and a half yep. of a year and a half span. Yep. This many kids were killed in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. We all know, we all know, and I know I can't say for a shadow of a doubt, if these were white children, they would have been called were, in within yes. the third third one being killed. Absolutely. Yep. Fucking ridiculous. That's exactly what happened here. So this, however, only came after the police department had begged the attorney general's office as well as media began pressuring the reagan administration to bring attention to the case well and the fact that it's interesting to me the fact Mm -hmm. that the police were like begging yeah the fact that the police were like hey we need need help help. which is shocking yeah because even though they're doing shoddy police work it's like they're at least saying exactly which is interesting yeah and like we need the extra help but like this is how little, like, higher-ups cared. That's so fucking ridiculous. So the Reagan administration actually at one point gave Atlanta $2 million to solve the cases. Wow. Yeah. Damn. So these then led the FBI uh, into launching a major case investigation and assigning over two dozen agents and staff members to the case in mid-November. Damn. So they found that there were a lot of similarity between the cases. They found that dozens of children had disappeared, many of them being young black males, vanished Mm -hmm. in broad daylight from public spaces, with bodies being discovered in desolate areas, and that there were no obvious motives to the killings as they did not appear to be Mm gang-related and pointed to the FBI into believing that it was a serial killer. Okay. 
So Patrick, Patman Rogers, was 16 years old when he went missing on November 30th, 1980. Mm -hmm. So Patman was described as a boy that was extremely interested in becoming a singer. So his friends and family said that he would enter every singing or talent competition he would stumble across. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so sweet, though. Yeah, I love that. Like, I just want to show off what I'm doing. I can do a little dance like Like, so cute he was just he was a light he was such a lovely lovely person who just he wanted to entertain i love that he had a lot of talent so earlier in the day that he on the day he disappeared he was seen waiting at a bus stop with his younger brother and then later one of his friend's mothers had said he had come to her apartment looking for her son as he wanted to tell him exciting news he had met a man that wanted to record one of his songs so like this was a big deal for him yeah so this didn't seem impossible to her as just one week prior there was a man at their housing development who was handing out flower flyers looking for new talent Mm -hmm. so on december 7th 1980 patman's body was discovered by the paces ferry road bridge near the chattahoochee river caught on rafter cables so his cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma Mm. given that one of the earlier victims aaron weish's cause of death was blunt force trauma from being thrown off of a bridge police thought perhaps patman was also thrown off the Mm -hmm. bridge yeah so i do want you to remember the whole man wanted to record his songs yes because that's a pretty big deal that will come up later. okay because that's something that like i feel like has been used before where it's like how many times do you see people people being like looking for young girls who want to be models and shit yep. and then it's like a trafficker you know exactly what I mean? so i just want you to keep that in mind okay so that and then green reasons. fibers yes Heard. so those are big important things okay. that will definitely come back later so as the city entered into 1981 everyone was on edge as now at this point 16 children from the community were missing or murdered so Luby Jeter was 14 when he disappeared on January 3rd, 1981. So he was last seen at the Stewart Lakewood Shopping Center selling car deodorizers outside of a store. Mm-hmm. So witnesses, witness accounts differ greatly on what happened next, but each claim that they saw Luby get into a man's vehicle. Okay. So one claims that he got into a red pickup. Another says that the pickup truck was white. And one witness said that it was a white and black cutlass. Mm-hmm. So, and lastly, one woman later testified at the later suspect's trial that she saw Luby get into a car outside of a Sears at the mall. Mm-hmm. So, one important side note about the place that Luby was last seen was that several calls were placed by a man claiming to be the killer from payphones near the shopping center. Okay. So, however, Luby's body was found by a man and uh, by a man and his dog on February second, nineteen eighty one, in a wooded area. Mm-hmm. He was missing all of his clothes except for his underwear. Some of his clothes were found in a brown bag three feet deep in a nearby creek. Mm-hmm. His other articles of clothes were found about three hundred yards away from his body. Mm. So his body had been mutilated by animals, and his cause oh, of death geez. was determined to be asphyxiation by manual strangulation. Okay. All right yeah so jesus yes damn my god yes. jesus fucking like christ. what these kids went through yeah is no fucking horrific ever have to go through jesus christ so on january 22nd 1981 15 year old terry Pugh uh, was seen by his brother boarding a bus on hollywood road around 3 p.m so he went to a friend's home to ask if he wanted to play basketball with him but he declined because of the rain 
So Terry then set off to play on his own. So he was seen spending part of the night sleeping in a crystal restaurant around the area before collecting cans and returning them for money at a Mm -hmm. local return shop. Mm -hmm. So after that, Terry was never seen again. Earlier in the month, around January 8th, police received a call from a man telling the police to find a boy's body on Sigmund Road. Mm. Police searched the area around that time but did not find a body. But later in the month after Terry disappeared, who they believed to be the same man called the police department again and said that they had dumped a second boy's body there. So when police searched the area this time, they discovered Terry Pugh's body. They found dog hairs on his body as well as abrasions on his elbows and bruises on his head. So his cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation by ligature strangulation. Okay. So it's also important to note that two years after they found Terry's body, they researched this area and found skeletal remains of another body. Oh, wow. So potentially this person may not have been lying that Mm. they dumped two bodies there and they never found the second body which is so weird to me like how did you how do you fuck that up how do you how do you fuck that up but then it also leads me to believe Mm -hmm. possibly did this person call them Mm -hmm. lead them on this wild goose chase because they hadn't found the first body yep and then once they found the first body this guy went back there and put the body back maybe you know what i mean that's one of those things that like that's one of those things that like with me like Mm -hmm. with the um What's it called with the Delphi murders? Yeah. How they searched that area. They couldn't find anything. And then all of a sudden, the next day, they went back and found Libyan, Libyan yes. Abbey. So I do wonder if it could have been one of those, like, putting the bodies back mm-hmm. there after police had already searched and, like, mocking Like, the revisiting, yeah. Or if literally the police, like, would this case... I wouldn't be shocked if the police so just shit, fucked up, yeah. Yeah, that they could have just, like... Yeah, up. I agree. In the next two months, six more bodies were discovered, who they are now believing to be connected. So... One of which was Patrick Balthazar. So Patrick was 12 years old in February of 1981. So sometime before Patrick had gone missing, he and a few other children had an incident where they had they were destroying stolen furniture and began to be chased by a man. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, Patrick got away but called the missing children's task force telling them that a man was after them and going to get him, but no one ever answered or investigated his call. <gasps> the fuck yep so on february 6th 1981 patrick had gone to his father's work where he was given money to attend a boxing match or to go play at an arcade Mm -hmm. so witnesses saw say they saw patrick at an arcade until around midnight that night Mm -hmm. but after that patrick disappeared his body was later found on february 13th in an overgrown area by the corporate square complex and apartments by a janitorial employee Mm. so one witness that lived in the apartment building told police that on the morning uh, his body was found she saw a white man parked in the area she described the vehicle uh, he was in as a 68 or 69 light green chevy impala Okay. So she said that this man was white, in his 20s, had shoulder-length brown hair, a small mustache, close-set eyes, wearing a flannel, and stared at her until she entered the building. So Mm -hmm. scrapes, bruises, and dog hairs were all found on Terry's body, as well as his case of, or his cause of death was found to be ligature strangulation. Okay. So I also want to mind you here, this is at least three victims- that I can think of off the top of my head at this point that have all been found with dog hairs as well. Wow. Yeah. yeah so that's important too. So yes. remember dog hairs, green fibers and the uh, recording or, or like the guy saying that he was going to record Pat Man songs. Okay. 
So Curtis Walker was 13 uh, when he had gone to the local gun shop where he and his brother would often find work picking up trash on February 19th. Mm -hmm. So when they couldn't find much to be paid for, they were seen crossing the street and going to a nearby shopping center, which was the last confirmed sighting of Curtis on the day that he went missing. Mm -hmm. So one witness whose claims could not be substantiated claimed that he had gotten into a yellow car. So scent dogs tracked his scent to behind the Center Hill School, which was one he did not attend. Mm -hmm. So Curtis's body was later discovered on March 6th, caught on a log in the South River. So he was found nearly nude other than his underwear with latent print still left on his body. So his mm. cause of death was strangulation. So one witness said that the week before they had seen an old green Chevy parked by the area where his body was found. Mm -hmm. So this spot was also barely a mile away from the church where in February the reverend of that church was receiving calls from a man who claimed to be the killer. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Jojo Bell was... Jojo! Jojo. But Jojo Bell was 15 on March 2nd, 1981. So that day, his manager at the Cap'n Peg uh, restaurant where he worked. Cap'n Peg? Cap'n. Yep. Captain. Like Cap'n Crunch. Cap'n Crunch. So okay. Cap'n Peg restaurant that he worked at said he saw JoJo leave to go play basketball with a friend. So this friend was 21-year-old Eugene Laster, who said he saw JoJo get into a vehicle with a man who on the day that Jojo disappeared, he claimed he did not know who the driver was or what type of car it was, but later testified to the jury that it was the man that was on trial and that it was that specific car. Wait, so how old was Jojo? Jojo was 15. And he had a 21-year-old friend? Yep. Well, they were playing basketball, so it could have just been like pickup game kind of I mean, friends, yeah. but a little weird. Okay. Anyway. Kind of strange. Feels weird to me, but... Obviously, that's not the detail. That, that's the detail my brain focused on, so I apologize. Yes, but the detail that's more important is that originally when JoJo went missing, Eugene said that he saw him get into a car with a man, but didn't know what this man looked like, didn't mm -hmm. know what the kind of car was. And then all of a sudden he's saying, that's the guy. Yes, but at trial, then he's like, it was that guy, and it was that guy's car. Interesting. Yes. Was it a blue car? No. No. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I was going to say, ha! Ha-ha, the blue Red car. Red strings. No. Ah. We'll come back to this. Okay. As well as another witness signed an affidavit saying that he saw a man who was not the man that was later charged for this uh, kill Bell at the same location that a later victim, Timothy Hill, disappeared at. Mm -hmm. But I digress for that at a moment. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make the distinction that we'll talk about it more when we get to the trial. But at the trial, there were a lot of people that were saying that there were suspects or other people that they think were involved that were very much not the person that was on trial. Okay. But Interesting. Yeah, so just keep that in there. So the day after JoJo disappeared, his manager on the re at the restaurant received a call from the restaurant, or received a call to that restaurant from JoJo, saying that he was almost dead. Oh? Yes. Almost, almost dead? Almost dead. Yeah. That basically his manager picked up the phone at the restaurant, and it was Jojo, and that Jojo was saying that he was almost dead. <gasps> oh, wait, hold on. I thought you meant someone else was calling on Jojo's behalf. No. Oh, my God. So Jojo called and was like, yes. I'm almost dead. Yes. Oh, my God. Could you? I can't even imagine That's getting that fucking horrifying. phone call. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. 
So on March 7th, JoJo's mom said she also received two calls <gasps> from a woman saying that she had the boy. Jesus Christ. Horrifying. And so how long mother. were these calls after he went missing? Um, so she, on March 7th, she received that call. And he disappeared on March 2nd. So five days. So five days later. Okay. So, so she got the call five days after mm -hmm. he went missing. Okay. Yep. Five days. Powder's playing with paper again. So okay. sorry, everybody. Um, yeah, because if we stop this, we have so... I'm so sorry if you hear yeah. that. We're, we're just, just going to have to... We're just going to keep on... <laughs> Go, we got Jojo's body was discovered by two hikers in an area about two miles from a bend in the South River on April 19th, 1981. Okay. So his body was completely unclothed other than his underwear, and he was determined to have died from what they classified as undetermined asphyxiation. Okay. Yep. So the next victim we're going to talk about um, has a very confusing... Wait, are we going to talk about what happened with that phone call with yes. JoJo? Okay, it's cool, gonna, just making sure. We're going to come back to that. Okay, just um, making sure. But the next victim we're going to talk about, I will preface, this is a very confusing series of events. Okay. So, but also, it's conflicting in a lot of different ways because there are several different stories mm -hmm. or theories as to what could have happened here. So, but what is known for certain is that on March 13th, 1981... 13-year-old Timothy Hill went missing. So where things get confusing is that two days earlier, Timmy was playing with his niece in front of, in the front yard. So she claims that a man picked him up in a yellow taxi and smeared what she said looked like mud on his face. Mm -hmm. So this was the last time that his family directly saw him alive. Mm -hmm. So however, as far as outside witnesses go... Those not involved in the more confusing events say that they believed that they saw Timothy Hill on Friday, March 13th, on a nearby sidewalk talking to a 16-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. So as well as one person claims that they saw Hill attending a missing and murdered kids rally at Moorhouse oh College mm -hmm. on Sunday. So Timothy's teacher, Teresa Swindle, says that she also or that she received two phone calls on Monday from him crying. Mm -hmm. So one of these stories that is told about what happened to Timothy was that 34 year old Frankie Mealing claims that he had what he claims, quote unquote, was sex with Timmy and another boy at the home of a local pedophile, Thomas, Uncle Tom Terrell. On mm. Thursday, March 14th, around 5 p.m. So one thing to note here regarding Timmy's niece's story about the mud thing was that a neighbor of Terrell's said that Terrell kept a bucket of some kind of drugs that were mixed together that looked like mud in his home that people would sniff and then become high. Mm -hmm. So Mealing then claims that around 9 p.m. Timmy returned to Tom's house or Tom's home asking to stay the night as the last bus had left. So um, mm, I'm going to pause right there for a yep. second because why would why would any kid, mind you, mm -hmm. I, don't, I know yeah. you can probably hear by the way that she said she said sex. She put big air quotes because you yeah. can't have sex with a child. Nope. That is rape. Yes. I don't give a fuck what you say because kids rape. can't consent to sex. Nope. He was 13. No, exactly. Another point. If that had happened to you, why would you – I mean, okay not gonna victim that sounds very yeah. a little victim blamey but i feel like it's not a likely story yeah. that he went back to this person's house well not willingly no so uh, that part i disagree with but i i have a lot of thoughts yes <laughs> um but he claims that timmy came back needing a place to stay and 
this pedophile agreed. Mm-hmm. After that, I could not find what Mealing claimed uh, was the last time that he saw Timmy. Mm-hmm. But later, another boy who was 15 came forward and said that a man who went by the name Larry Marshall, mm-hmm. which was also an alias that Mealing's roommate often used, okay. brought him and Timmy Hill to the house on the street that Terrell's house was located on to have sex with them mm. on March 9th. Okay. So he said that this man also took them to a Salvation Army to steal for him, where Timmy Hill came out crying, saying that a security guard there, this is horrible, had anally raped him while inside of the store. So the police did arrest this Larry Marshall guy. So Timothy Hill's body was discovered in the Chattahoochee River on March 30th, 1981. Mm -hmm. So he was found with no clothing on except for his underwear, and his cause of death was also listed and as undetermined asphyxiation. Mm. So it is important to note that his body was discovered in a part of the river that is also on the same property where police later found child victims being quote-unquote employed at a pedophile entertainment venue. Oh my god. We'll talk more about it in the future, but I think for Timothy Hill, I think his who killed him were more than likely this group of pedophiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you that, do you think he wasn't a part of these murders? It was he was around the same time. Do you think it was just like a like kind of like a by chance they happened to be fucking with him? And I mean that in yeah. not in, not in every sense mm-hmm. of the word, but I mean that yeah. in like a just the way I talk, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, do you think they were doing this stuff to him and they were like, he's no longer useful. We might be able to swing him in with the mm-hmm. rest of the kids who are being killed. Possibly. I think okay. that that's more than likely what happened. I think that clearly one of the things that is very upsetting, but it needs to be pointed out since this was a local pedophile entertainment venue, that there were a lot of children in this area that were actively being molested and groomed and mm-hmm. harmed. Mm. And I think that, unfortunately, he was one of the children that more than likely was being harmed. Maybe it was unintentional, the murder itself, but mm. that he was lumped into this mm. because it was an easy mm. cover. But yeah. very horrible. I yeah. think this poor child was, as several of these kids clearly in this area, was being harmed. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. Yeah. So our first adult victim that is attributed to the Atlanta child murders was 21-year-old Eddie Duncan. Mm -hmm. So on the day that Eddie disappeared on March 20th, 1981, he was seen getting onto a bus around 2 p.m. to drop off dry cleaning for a friend that he was supposed to meet up with later that day. So, however, records found that Duncan never dropped off the dry cleaning items uh, until nearly 6 p.m. and he never met up with his friend. So around 7 p.m., another friend of him said that they saw him walking towards his apartment saying that he had made $20 today and that they were all going to go play pool later when he got back. So later around 10 p.m., a neighbor of his said that they said that Duncan had told him that he had been given $200 to help someone paint. So they are con- there are conflicting reports of where he was last seen that night. Mm-hmm. So one being that he was last seen in the game room that he liked, or that the other was him getting into a car on a corner street with a light-skinned man. Mm-hmm. So 24, after, 24 hours after they discovered Timothy Hill's body, canoeists then stumbled across Duncan's body on the other side of the Chattahoochee. So mm-hmm. his body was found missing all of his clothes except for his boxers, and his cause of death was not able to be determined. Okay, so so we have a lot of these people 
being found in just underwear. Yes. Like a lot of them. And now in very close areas to each other. Literally in 24 hours, Timothy Hill and Duncan's bodies were both found just on opposite sides of the Chattahoochee River. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Damn. So after Duncan, nearly all of the additional victims attributed to the Atlanta child murders were either adults or all above the age of 16. Okay. So Larry Rogers was 20 years old when he went missing on either April 1st, 1981 or March 30th, 1981. Okay. So witnesses conflict on whether they last saw Larry either on the street on April 1st getting into a light green Chevy station wagon Mm -hmm. with a light-skinned man on the afternoon of March 30th. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, well, so they conflict on which day it was. Mm -hmm. So police found Larry's body on April 9th in the kitchen of a ground floor abandoned apartment building. So in front of this building, a green Buick Skylar that had been stolen on March 28th was found without tires, Mm -hmm. just like right outside this building. Mm -hmm. So the police found dog hairs on his body Mm -hmm. as well as they were he was found wearing an outfit that was different from the one he was reported missing in. Mm -hmm. So his cause of death was listed as strangulation. Okay. so 23 year old Michael McIntosh had been released from jail in 1979 after serving his sentence for burglary and armed robbery and began working at the Milton Ave foundry. Mm-hmm. So Macintosh left worked on March 24th, 1981, but never returned back to work. So, however, the family claimed to continue to see him up until April 1st. But on March 25th, a man that ran an import shop said that Michael came into his shop crying, having been badly beaten. Mm-hmm. He said that he and his employees gave him $12 and pointed him towards the local bus station and last saw, saw him walking in the direction of the Chattahoochee River. Mm-hmm. So Michael's body was found on a bank near the river on April 20th by a fish farmer. So his body was found naked and his cause of death could not be determined. Okay. So it was in April of 1981 that the FBI especially noticed that the MO was starting to change here. Not only was the majority of the victims shifting to an older or to be older in age, making each victim either in their late teens to early 20s, but that mostly they were being asphyxiation most often as their cause of death. Whereas before it was kind of like a slew of either Mm -hmm. asphyxiation bludgeoning or yeah. uh, um yep. blunt force trauma or 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 shooting yep okay interesting yeah. so it's kind of like it's almost like this person's honing their yeah. their and like narrowing yeah. down what they yeah. like to do which is interesting yes and most importantly their bodies were now almost exclusively being dumped in local rivers and most often the chattahoochee river Okay. So 21-year-old Jimmy Ray Payne was a troubled young man before his death. I couldn't find too much on the circumstances as to what was causing him emotional pain, but in December of 1980, Payne was released from the local correctional facility after serving time. Mm -hmm. So when he returned home from prison, he was put under supervision of a doctor due to thoughts of suicide. Okay. So something that I'll talk about further later is that um, the connections that a lot of these victims had with each other, um, but Payne uh, was also directly friends with Patman Rogers. Okay. So a lot of these victims were actually friends with each other or like had connections Which, with each other. Which that's like to me it's a little not shocking mm-hmm. because especially if they're all black kids. Yep. They it's it's the community could yes. be tight knit in that way, but also that it kind of seems like these were if there is are victims that most all of them are kind of known to each other, what if this is a person who knows them? Exactly. Like if I like mm-hmm. if someone who knows us, 
you know, would yeah. if, if if let's say we both go missing, we're both found murdered, Lord forbid, mm-hmm. they will look at people we both know. Yes. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that I guess makes sense. Even someone like we have connections to that like we yeah. know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even someone who doesn't know us personally but has connections to us, like they yes. will look at someone like that. Yep. Which is interesting. Oh yeah. So Jimmy Ray was last seen on either April twenty first or twenty second by his family. So mm-hmm. they say that they last saw him at their shared apartment looking for nickels to sell at a local store and that they knew he was planning to meet his girlfriend later on in the day at a local bus station. Okay. So however, he never saw her. Mm-hmm. So a younger guy that he knew uh, that days later was al- arrested for burglary claimed that sorry there's a cat fight going on the, on top of these papers so uh, very yeah sorry we apologize but that this man who was later arrested for burglary claimed that he saw pain at another coin shop from the one he was originally planning to go to so however police were unable to verify this man's claim so as well as the man a man had called the police after jimmy ray disappeared and said that he had run into him at a local club so on April 27th, another man named Fred Wyatt came to the Captain Peg restaurant and presented Payne's prison ID, assumably as his own. So this led police to believe that perhaps Payne had attempted to send to sell his ID to assume another one and run off. Mm. So however, on the same day, two fishermen found Payne's body in the Chattahoochee River. He was found missing his clothes other than his underwear. His cause of death was listed as undetermined asphyxiation. Mm, okay. So interestingly, when he was discovered in his pocket was a piece of paper with an address listed. And this address led back to the same place that one of the previous victims, Edward Hope Smith, had lived. Oh. Very weird. So this was a victim's address and another victim's pocket. Yep. And oh. Edward Hope Smith, if I'm remembering correctly, he was Teddy... And that was one of the very first victims that was just That's fucking weird. Very weird. So John Porter was 28 years old in April of 1981. So Porter had been recently released from prison in recent years before his murder. So Porter was troubled as well after release and spent some time in a local mental hospital. So when he left there, he had lived for some time with his grandmother until she had kicked him out of her home for, as she claims, molesting a two-year-old child in her home. Ooh. So after that, he went to live with his mother, but whenever he would get mad at his mother, he would go and live with James Charles, uh, James Charles, old man Gates ew. in an abandoned apartment building. Old man. I, yep. Ew, that's skeevy. So side note, old man Gates was at one time charged with the brutal murder of a local girl, Angela Bacon, but later charges were dropped against him. Mm-hmm. So on April 12th, Porter's body was discovered propped up on the steps of a sidewalk of an abandoned parking lot. So Porter's cause of death was multiple stab wounds. Although this death completely deviates from the pattern, the FBI is claiming is now claiming that the killer is sticking to. This murder was later attributed to the man that is labeled as the Atlanta child killer. Why? I have no idea. Though. Well, also, so this was this the, the stab wound body was the 28 year old. I mean, it could make sense because think about it. If this person, depending, a 28 year old isn't, I mean, to my not, like most 28 year olds are not just like these tiny people. You know what I mean? Like if it was someone like my cousin I can think of, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Who's my age, but like when he's 28, he's a tall guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Depending on how big this 28 year old was, Mm -hmm. it would make sense there were stab wounds because sometimes you wouldn't be able to get like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It just makes sense. Maybe. I 
I don't know, but we'll we'll talk okay. more about the weirdness of all of this case. Mm-hmm. But so William Billy Star Barrett was 17 years old in May of 1981. So Billy Star was a bit of a troubled kid, and the October before had been held in a youth detention center. Mm-hmm. So Barrett had previ- had previously before this had convictions of theft, drug violations, aggravated assault, and receiving stolen property. So one store owner had said that both Billy Star and Luby Jeter were often frequent flyers at this store. So Billy Star was last seen on May 11th at the McDaniel Glen Housing Community Center paying a bill for his mother. So one neighbor of his said that he saw Billy a few blocks away from his home getting into a white two-door car with a black man carrying a purse. Mm-hmm. So this was last reported, the last reported sighting of Barrett. So when investigating his disappearance, one elementary school student claims that someone had approached him and offered him $3,000 to kill Barrett. Oh. So this, the day after he disappeared, William's body was discovered by FBI agents. He had been left on a curb in a wooded area. So Harold Wood, who is thir- 32-year-old Harold Wood, was a janitor at the local high school and had run out of gas a mile up the road. And because he was stranded close by, police arrested him and questioned him for the involvement in Billy's murder. So Wood was not involved, but said that he saw he witnessed a black man driving a white over blue Cadillac looking at the body and then staring at him before leaving. So this description, however, fit the man that discovered the body. So both men were then later cleared. Okay. And that is kind of where I'm going to leave us for now. No. Ah. Yeah. So there's obviously <laughs> so much more to talk about in part two. Because we have, we don't even have, it's, we we don't even have, have a suspect. suspect's name. Nope. Yo. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So I'm very sorry, but that's where I have to leave you for now because that's so much information. Yeah. So much happening. It is a lot. But thank you for all of your patience and sticking oh through for God. all of that. So I guess if you guys want to be traumatized more yep. and find out what the fuck happens with this case, mm-hmm. you can follow us on our social medias. You can follow us on Instagram at Figures in the Dark. Follow us on Twitter at Figures in the Dark, but dark spelled D-R-K. You can follow us on Twitter, like our page, um, almost said subscribe, share our page, send us a message, all that oh, fun wait, stuff. Oh, we just on said fa- Twitter. What? Oh, wait. Never Facebook. mind. Facebook. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Hello. You can like us on Facebook, Facebook. at figures in the dark you can send us an email case suggestions um any feedback any pictures of your cats at figures in the dark podcast at gmail.com and you can listen to us on all streaming major streaming platforms including spotify apple apple music apple google music. podcast amazon music and anchor and spotify <laughs> um yes <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for sticking through that and thank mm-hmm. you for listening and as always beware the figures in the dark all right uh, i guess we'll see you soon um bye, bye.